0: November 23, 1996. Ethiopian Airlines Flight 961, a Boeing 767, is on a two-hour, ten-minute scheduled flight from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, to Nairobi, Kenya. Twenty minutes after takeoff, the cockpit is stormed by three men claiming to have a bomb. The men are wielding an axe and carrying several bottles of liquor. They beat the first officer and remove him from the cockpit, then instruct the captain to fly the plane to Australia. The captain desperately tries to explain that the plane does not have enough fuel to make it to Australia, But the hijackers refuse to listen. The captain reluctantly flies the plane away from Africa, out over the open Indian Ocean. What was the fate of this flight and all 175 people on board? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hey everyone, welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris and we're back again. Hi Chris. Hello. Here to do a little more podcasting about uh, aviation incidents. As always, I feel compelled to remind people to follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram, at BlackBoxDownPod. Uh, we post images and videos that we can't necessarily uh, describe adequately through audio only. There is a video I will be posting on social media in regards to this episode that I think you're going to want to see. I watched it. It's pretty... Yeah, you they're going to want to see it. <laughs> you're going to want to see this. Uh, again, bit of background. Uh, neither Chris nor I are pilots. Uh, I just personally find aviation incidents very interesting flying is one of the safest or it's probably the safest way to travel so i'm always curious when things go wrong so i've had a fascination in aviation incidents and crashes for a long time and uh, i found my outlet i found someone to finally listen to me it's chris yes we're (laughs) we're recording it and you're listening to the both of us so this particular incident a couple episodes ago Chris uh, talked about you. You did uh, your your mm-hmm. history of hijacking episode, Chris. That was I think two yes. episodes ago. So we're going to follow it up now with another hijacking episode. I, I feel like for the most part, normally I don't like covering hijacking episodes or incidents. Why is that? Uh, because normally it's not the aviation. What do you say? It's not. Well, it's not. It's not the pilots or the planes' right. fault. It's
1: it's like third party.
0: Right. There's outside influence. You know, the, you you obviously there's security and there's checks, but. There's not, like, a maintenance schedule you follow, right? (laughs) Like, like there's not a mishap that happens that leads to, you know, hijacking. Um, Especially, you know, back then, pre-September 11th, you know, the security could have been a lot more lax. It was a very different world back then. So, anyway, that being said, we are going to cover this one. This one does have some interesting twists to it, I think. Okay, so November 23rd, 1996... Ethiopian Airlines was scheduled to fly from Bol International Airport in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, and I might butcher some of these uh, names, today, <laughs> to uh, Port Buet Airport in Abidjan out on the African West Coast with stopovers in Kenya, Republic of Congo, and Nigeria. The plane was a nine-year-old Boeing 767 that spent most of its service with Ethiopian Airlines. The plane had 32,353 hours with 12,623 cycles. And like we've explained before, a cycle is... The entire flight, basically, from being on the ground, pressurizing, flying through the air, landing, depressurizing. So that's what it's Up likely. and down. Right. Up and down. Uh, the plane was flown by Captain Leul Abate, who was 42 and had over 11,500 hours of flight time. And First Officer Jonas Makuria, who was 34 and had over 6,500 hours of flight time. So, little tangent, um, mm-hmm. not to scare anyone, but... This was Captain Abate's third hijacked flight. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, the first happened four years before on April 12th, 1992, uh, when two Ethiopian couples armed with hand grenades demanded to be taken to Nairobi, Kenya, where they demanded $5 million U.S. million in fuel to fly to Toronto, Canada. But after a standoff in Nairobi, they surrendered to authorities. And then his second one? The second hijacking happened three years later, March 17th, 1995, when that flight was hijacked by five Ethiopian men wanting to go to Libya. Uh, that plane landed in Sudan to refuel and repair a mechanical issue and then several hours passed as the Sudanese authorities negotiated with the hijackers and they eventually surrendered and there were no injuries on either incident so that's good so he's he, he's good under pressure i i wonder because we talked about
1: this on the history one about how like there was a period of time in the us where there was just a ton of hijackings
0: i wonder if ethiopia this is like ethiopia's like prime hijacking Time. yeah like they, they were going through a similar thing it sounds like yeah yeah i mean it's, it's wild that this was his third so i mean say what you will but at least when the you know they stormed the cockpit it was not a new experience to him he was like okay i've got this yeah. I've, I've been through this <laughs> before you know uh so okay so like i said the flight took off from bowl international airport in Addis Ababa, ethiopia a little behind schedule at uh 809 utc which would have been 11.09 a.m. Ethiopian time. And as we described before, UTC is universal time. It's uh, what it's, it used to be called Greenwich Mean Time. The plane climbed to its cruising altitude of 39,000 feet uneventfully. And about 20 minutes later, one of the passengers stood up from his seat and he rushed the cockpit and he was followed by two others. While making their way to the front, one of them said, everyone should be seated, I have a bomb. Uh, yeah, and they made their way to the cockpit saying there were 11 of them on the flight. Uh, in reality, there were only three, but they were trying to make everyone scared, make them think that there were more hijackers. Yeah. They started beating on the first officer and they forced him out of the cockpit. Beating on him? I guess, yeah, that's a weird way to saying it. They started beating him, beating yeah. on him. They started beating him up. They started punching him. They started, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, physically assaulting him. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they went ahead. They also grabbed a fire axe and a fire extinguisher that were located in the cockpit. And they demanded that they be flown to Australia. Mm-mm. Yeah. So from an interview with the captain, uh, he said that he told them he would do whatever they wanted, but there wasn't enough fuel on the plane to make it to Australia. <laughs> and they needed to discuss the situation and make a stop to refuel. And which is strange because, you know, like I said, in his previous two hijackings he had been through, they had to stop to refuel. You know, the, the hijackers understood there's not enough fuel on the plane. They've got to stop to get more gas. Yeah. But, you know, that's when the hijackings ended in those other two. So maybe the hijackers on this plane knew it's like if they stop, they're going to get caught. And I guess just as a general reminder for, you know, people listening, you know, planes don't always just fuel up, they don't like top off their tanks and fly uh, because that just makes the plane super heavy, you know. So if they carry too much fuel, they're just carrying fuel to burn fuel. So, you know, planes yeah. will carry enough gas or enough fuel for their journey and then a little more in case they need to divert. They don't always just, it's not like driving your car. You don't top it off and fill up the tank and go.
1: Yeah. So why, why wouldn't they just get a flight to Australia?
0: They didn't demand any money or anything? So I, I can't speak to why they didn't get a flight to Australia. It could be that maybe they couldn't get a visa to go to Australia, so they couldn't get on the plane. Uh, maybe um, the flights are more expensive. It's cheaper to get on a domestic flight. You know, they, maybe they didn't have the money mm-hmm. to buy the international ticket. There could be reasons that, you know, that prevented them from doing that. I could see, you know, either okay. of those situations happening. You know, it's probably cheaper and easier to just hijack. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, hijack. I mean, it's was, it was probably easier for them to, you know, get between the countries that they were flying to on the African continent as opposed to uh, going yeah. to Australia. Okay. So, you know, like I said, the captain trying to convince them, hey, cool plan, guys. Not enough gas. <laughs> we got to stop and get some <laughs> gas. Um, but the hijackers told him that they read the in-flight magazine and that in the in-flight magazine, it says that the plane they're on can fly for 11 hours, uh, which is true. Did they come up with this plan <laughs> while they were taking off? I I don't know, dude. I mean... We got quick. Do some research. (laughs) Right. Obviously, that's true. But like the captain has to explain to them, yeah, but we don't have that fuel. We only plan to fly from Nairobi to Mombasa. And so, you know, he tried to show them the fuel quantity indicators and to show what it would look like if they had enough fuel versus the amount of fuel that they actually have. Yeah. Yeah. Still, the hijackers insisted the plane should be flown to Australia without stopping, and that if their demands were not met, they would destroy the aircraft along with the passengers using that bomb that they said that they had. Did they show a bomb, or was it just... They, they just claimed it. I, I think at this point, no one has seen it. Okay. So, uh, but the captain does, however, notice that one of the men is holding a, the fire axe and a bottle of whiskey, and another one's wearing a glove and claimed to have the bomb on him. And he was also holding a bottle of whiskey. And the third hijacker was holding the fire extinguisher. So they brought whiskey? So they were just, were they drunk? I assume they're drunk. I think they took the bottles of whiskey from the in-flight uh, service, from like the galley. To drink or as a weapon? <laughs> like, Probably to what? drink. I mean, they're, they had a long flight ahead of You ever fly a long flight to Australia, dude? You got to do something to make the time pass.
1: Yeah, but it just seems like you'd pick one or the other, <laughs> drink
0: or hijack a plane. It just seems like, I just feel like you'd want your wits about you, but you know. Yeah, I, I guess I, I wouldn't want to wield an axe after having had uh, some whiskey, I guess. Yeah, but you know, that's the difference between me and these guys, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you also probably would, <laughs> would do your research and your planning before you got to the point where you were reading the in-flight magazine on the plane you were going to hijack. Probably so. So at this point, two of the hijackers exit the cockpit and stood by the door. Then they ordered everyone to look down and stop talking. They then had one of the flight attendants assist them with the flight attendant panel so they could make an announcement. And uh, they made an announcement in Amaraic, French, and English, saying that they had taken control of the plane, they had a bomb, and they were not going to hesitate to use it. So it was at this time, the pilot Abate contacted Addis Ababa Area controls and informed them that the plane was hijacked and they were going to Australia. And uh, then the pilot was not allowed to make any further contact. Addis Ababa Area Control then contacted Nairobi Area Control to advise him that Flight 961 was diverting to Mombasa and they were under unlawful interference. Okay. So at around 8.55 universal time, uh, one of the hijackers ordered uh, Captain Abate to phone Australia. And the pilot responded saying there wasn't a telephone on board. But after, you know, they threatened to beat him, he asked the hijackers to give him a phone number. After flipping through an Ethiopian flight timetable booklet, the hijacker gave the captain the number for the general sales office in Australia. What? Right. I mean, like you kind of alluded to earlier. I think these guys didn't really have a plan.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Did they decide to hijack the plane on the plane that they were on? It, I, like- it, it seems
0: with the level of forethought they put into it, maybe. Hey, we should hijack. Let's do with this. Why not? I'm <laughs> like, right. Like, I, I'm curious. Maybe, maybe Australia was on the cover of the in-flight magazine, and that's where they got the idea. Oh my god. So. A couple minutes later, uh, Captain Abate contacted Nairobi and transmitted the message so that it could be relayed to Australia. Because, again, there's no phone. He can't call a phone number. The phone number that they didn't have that they had to look up. The message he sent was basically an update saying that they were going to Australia along with the amount of fuel on board, the flight level, and the route that they were taking. And, of course, Nairobi control asks if they could divert to Mombasa instead of Australia, (laughs) to which the captain replies... Uh They refuse to land anywhere other than Australia, so we have no choice except when we finished our fuel, we will land on water. Nairobi asked again if they could land at Mombasa instead. And uh, uh, Captain Abate, he set up the radio so that the hijackers could hear the control center and Uh said, Okay, I just wanted our hijackers to hear what you're communicating, and if you have anything to say, go ahead and tell them. Nairobi Control then told the hijackers there's only two hours of fuel remaining and they would be unable to reach Australia and they would have to land in the water. So the best solution was just to land in Mombasa. I think Nairobi Control tried to explain that Australia was six hours away. So obviously, six is greater than two, not enough fuel. But of course, guess what? The hijackers refused to listen and refused to negotiate, you know, while Nairobi Control tried their best to persuade them to land in Mombasa. The hijackers then told Captain Abate to turn the radio off and they took his headset and his sunglasses and instructed him not to make any further communication. Could the pilot not just tell them they were landing in Australia and then just land, like... Well, they probably would have expected it to take a long time, you know? Yeah, I guess that's true. They know that it's far. He would probably also have to fly over the ocean for a long time to convince them of that. So, you know, they're flying. Eventually, they fly past Mombasa... And they headed towards uh, Zanzibar and along the southeast coast of Africa. And the whole time, the captain's trying to convince the hijackers to let him land for fuel. And as they were flying past uh, Tanzania, one of the hijackers again told Captain Abate to call Australia. But this time, the captain called uh, company radio and informed them of the remaining fuel. He also called the local uh, air traffic control center, informing them of his position and his heading. And the hijackers then took his headset again and they ordered him to fly away from the coast and to not let the plane descend below flight level 390, which is 39,000 feet. So basically what he was kind of trying to do was he was trying to hug the coast a bit, you know, and keep mainland Africa close by in case for when they did run out of fuel. But the hijackers noticed that they could still see land and that he wasn't flying out over the water. So they made him turn out over the ocean. Oh, man. He wants to be able to get saved. (laughs) Right. He's trying. He's doing his best to keep land close by in case you know they do run out of fuel that he can put the plane down safely somewhere so you know once they tell him to do this and they tell him to turn away from Africa you know he turns uh, left out towards the Comoros Islands which are located between Mozambique and Madagascar so you know it's like just out southeast of the coast off of um, Africa between Africa and Madagascar so while heading in this direction the lead hijacker sat down in the first officer's seat and he started messing with the controls while he was drinking whiskey. Oh, my God. Right. He started, like, kicking the rudder pedals or, like, turning the ailerons or he he would reverse the thrust at random. So he was just messing with the pilot at this point. You know, he's just pushing things at random. Can you imagine that? Like, hijacking a plane and then just messing with the controls? Yeah. It's like they're already,
1: like basically gonna crash if they're gonna run and he's also like i'm assuming that can't be helping with the
0: fuel if he's just pushing random buttons right i mean it sounds almost based on the way they're behaving like they had no intention of making it to australia like they figured they were gonna die really i mean why else would they be doing these things they have seemingly no plan no way to get to Australia, one of the hijackers starts messing with the plane. I mean, I've never hijacked a plane before, but I imagine the last thing you want to do is start messing with the plane if you're not a pilot, if you don't know how to fly the plane. Yeah, it seems like they don't have any purpose. They don't seem like they're like doing some sort of suicidal pact or something. They just seem like drunk dummies. Yeah, maybe. So as they were flying over the Comoros Islands, uh, Captain Abate noticed Moroni International Airport and he circled south of the field as the low fuel caution came on. And he once again pleaded to land for the sake of fuel, but the hijackers were unconcerned and insisted he not descend below flight level 390. So they're telling him, no, don't descend. You're going to stay up here at 39,000 feet and you're not going to land. Jesus. So at about 1141 UTC, the right engine began to power down. And Captain Abate showed the warning messages to one of the hijackers. The hijacker then left the cockpit and he went to discuss with the other two hijackers. So they left the captain alone for a little while in the cockpit. And this gave him a chance to address the passengers. So he picked up the microphone and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. We have run out of fuel and we are losing one engine at this time. And we are expecting crash landing. And that is all I have to say. We have lost already one engine. And I ask all passengers to react to the hijackers. So he's oh trying to let God. the passengers know what's happening, and I think he's hoping that they try to subdue the hijackers or they do something to to try to fight them back.
1: Yeah, or at the very least, just, like, put a seatbelt on, know that, you know? like Right. Or maybe even he was talking to the passengers, but also, like, trying to let the hijackers know
0: that they actually are really running out of fuel. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I could, I could you see know, like, that, yeah. Was like, try to prove I'm not lying to you. Yeah. So, of course, they hear this and the hijackers come back into the cockpit and they hit the microphone out of the captain's hand. So, like I said, the right engine failed and the captain started a descent in order to keep the speed up. But the lead hijacker began to interfere and violently play with the controls again.
1: Oh, man.
0: This resulted in the autopilot disconnecting and the plane becoming a little erratic while speeding up and slowing down due to the control inputs. As Captain Abante regained control, the left engine failed. And about two minutes after this, both the CVR and the FDR stopped recording. uh, The cockpit voice recorder and flight data recorder. They they stopped recording? Right, because they have no more power anymore. Oh. At this point, both engines are now off. Huh. I guess I just, I figured it had some sort of like battery backup or... or It lasted for two minutes after, I mean, so it's not very long. I think they're more reliable now. They'll last longer. But uh, at this point, they did not. But, you know, Hmm. I'm sure you know what happens when on a Boeing 767, when both engines fail, the rat deploys. The rat! (laughs) So uh, once again, the rat does deploy in this case. Uh, It's the uh, Ramjet Air Turbine. It's basically a little propeller that pops out from the bottom of the plane. And the speed of the wind causes it to rotate, which generates a little bit of power. So some controls in the cockpit continue to work. But it's not enough to power the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. So it's the best part of the plane. It's uh, often an unsung hero. But we talked about the rat back in our first episode with Air Canada 123, which was a great episode. You go listen to that if you haven't. Anyway, so the hijacker again instructed the captain not to descend and went to the cabin. And when he came back, he saw the altitude was decreasing and he started shouting. And, you know, of course, (laughs) Captain (laughs) Abate is saying there's no fuel. The the Engines have no power. There's no way to do this. And the hijacker told the captain not to touch the controls or he would kill him. Oh, my God. And the captain replied, I am already dead because I'm flying an airplane without engine power.
1: Oh, my God. That poor captain. Like, what can he do? I mean. He's just like dealing with idiots.
0: And what are the passengers doing during all this? I mean, they, were they just s- sitting and being calm? I think they were being calm until, of course, the engines both die. And now, you know, they know something's wrong. I've seen some interviews with some of the passengers who, uh, you know, at this point, they know that they're going to crash land. I saw an interview with this older man. He was traveling with his wife. And uh, he says that, you know, when the engines died, that his wife told him to uh, look through their bags And I think her instructions were to grab their passports and to grab some snacks and water because she knew they were going to need them uh, if if they were going to be stranded out in the ocean. So obviously the passengers are aware of what's going on. From the mind of legendary filmmaker Ridley Scott, the visionary director of Alien and Blade Runner, comes his next sci-fi masterpiece, the HBO Max original series Raised by Wolves. In this epic new series, two android guardians are tasked with a singular mission, to raise the last of mankind as their own and protect them at any cost. Don't miss Ridley Scott's highly anticipated U.S. television debut, Raised by Wolves. Humanity begins again this Thursday, streaming only on HBO Max. And don't forget, subscribe now to the official Raised by Wolves companion podcast on iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. When you've had the same car insurance or homeowner's insurance for years, you kind of get trapped into paying your premiums and not even thinking about it. That makes it really easy for you to overpay and not even realize it. I mean, I think I've had the same car insurance place for 10 years, maybe longer, 12 years. It's been a long time, right? You don't even think about it. Uh, So you need to stop overpaying for car and homeowner's insurance. See about getting a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have, thanks to Gabby. Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers. You just link your current insurance account and in just minutes you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage you currently have. Uh, I did it myself, linked my account. It even showed me a quote that was a little bit cheaper than what I was paying right now. You can actually see, I mean exactly, the same coverage I have uh, provided by other providers. It's great, super easy. Gabby customers save $825 per year on average. If they can't find you savings like they did for me, uh, they'll let you know so you can relax knowing you have the best rate out there already. And they'll never sell your info, so no annoying spam, no robocalls. It's totally free to check your rate. There's no obligation. Take a few minutes right now. Stop overpaying on your car and home insurance. Go to gabby.com/blackboxdown. That's g-a-b-i.com/blackboxdown. Gabby.com/blackboxdown. So at this point, first officer Jonas, who had been sitting in first class this whole time got up and he went to the rear of the plane and he started helping passengers with their life jackets. And uh, he, along with other flight attendants, helped deflate some of the already inflated life jackets. And he told the passengers, you know, how the life jackets work and how to assume the brace position. And, you know, he told them, like, I'm sure you always hear on the the recordings, don't inflate your life jacket until you leave the plane. That's why he's telling them, you know, he's helping them deflate it. He's helping to make sure they, they do things correctly. So while returning to the front of the plane, he gave the same instructions as many times as he could. And the final report from Ethiopian Civil Aviation Authority notes that the instructions were in English and it's possible many of the passengers didn't understand them. Wait, the captain was giving the instructions in English or like the... The first officer was uh, trying okay. to give us the instructions as many times as he could. So he forced his way into the cockpit and he, you know, he shouts at the hijackers to let him help the captain. So the first officer got into his seat and he helped the captain as the controls were, you know, heavy at this point. The aircraft was descending. It only had minimal power because of the rat. And the altitude indicator read 150 feet, and the airspeed was at 200 knots. So the pilots turned the plane to the left to try to become parallel to the waves. You know, they didn't want to go against the waves. They want to land parallel to them to try to avoid, Uh you know, crashing into them. As they're turning left to become parallel to the waves, the left wing brushes the water, and the plane impacts the water and is destroyed. And, you know, you would think that it's... I think, like, in your mind, you think that landing on the water is soft, but the problem is that those engines are so big and round that as soon as they touch the water, they, like, start scooping up the water and rapidly decelerate the plane. When you say that they're big and round, like, what do you mean? That's like, the the, the bottom of the plane's not a smooth surface. It's not like you just come in and, like, glide over the water. You know, once those engines touch the water, like, all the water goes in and rapidly start decelerating the plane. Oh, God,
1: yeah, yeah, like, it's trying to, like, a cup or something like right. glide over the water. It gets filled up and like
0: heavy and waterlogged. and Exactly. Yeah. So the plane touched down at 1220 UTC, about 200 yards away from a beach resort on the northern end of the Grand Comoros Islands. And uh, the final moments were actually captured on camera by a tourist on the beach. That's the video I was alluding to earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, you can see footage of this plane touching down and, and crashing into the water. You know, luckily, like yeah. I said, they were right by a beach resort. So people were able to to get out there quickly to them. Unfortunately, though, 125 of the 175 people on board were killed on impact or by drowning. Oh, my God. The three hijackers were killed, but the captain and the first officer both survived along with four flight attendants. Sadly, it's estimated that somewhere between 60 and 80 passengers survived the initial crash, but they drowned because they inflated their life jackets before exiting the plane. Oh, no. So think about it. Like, that's why they tell you to inflate your life jacket once you leave the plane, because... Imagine, you know, if you're in the situation, right? You're in a crash. What if you have to swim down underwater to get to an exit, but you're yeah. wearing a life jacket, you know, it's filled with air. It's it's making you buoyant. So it it floats you up to the top and traps you in the plane. Yeah, that's awful. That's a horrible way to die. Right. It's like can you, I can't imagine. That's so many people who survived the impact, they survived the crash, but then they drown because they, you know, they inflated their life jacket too early. Yeah. In reading the transcripts in the final report, it seems like when the fuel was gone and the plane was descending, the hijackers had very much come to terms with death. They would say things like, we gave you our word we will die with you, to Captain Abate. And they offered him some whiskey, saying, to avoid panic, die drinking. What else can I do for you? What? Yeah, Captain Abate later commented, the hijackers knew they wouldn't make it to Australia. They just wanted us to crash. They should be dead. The way they were talking, they didn't want to live. They just wanted to kill everyone. Like, it needlessly, for no reason? That's what it seems like. I mean, I, I wish I could give you more information into why they did the things that they did, but we really don't know. Who were these people? They, they, that's also relatively unclear. They said that they were uh, future... I'm actually going to get to that in a bit, but if I remember okay. right, it says that they claim to be escaped from prison, but uh, I have some more details I know I'm going okay. to get to in a bit further down. Uh, but, uh, like I said, luckily, the plane crashed 200 yards off... Um, a beach resort. And so residents, tourists, and scuba divers on the island all went out in the water to try to aid the survivors. And the survivors were taken to the hospital for initial treatment. And the hospital was only 1.2 miles away from the crash site. Well, that's lucky. Yeah. And and on top of that, there happened to be several French doctors staying at the resort on that beach where the crash happened. So oh my, they were, they were able to immediately yeah. begin providing medical care to the survivors right there on the beach. Wow. So um, there was a, a notable... Passenger on that plane, someone that I do want to mention. Uh, one of the passengers on the plane was a man named Mohammed Amin, who was a wartime photojournalist. And uh, he's the person who was responsible for documenting the famine in Ethiopia in the early 80s that brought attention to that crisis. And it was the reason that the Live Aid charity relief effort began uh, in oh. the early 80s. Like he, the BBC That's... did a story about it, and he was a photojournalist who captured a lot of those images. They're very iconic images. You may have seen them at some yeah. point in your life. What's his name? Uh, Mohammed Amin. Unfortunately, he did pass away. He did not survive the crash, but uh, he was one of the people who was on that flight. So authorities later determined there was no bomb on the plane. and It's, one, it's what you had asked earlier, if they actually had a bomb. Oh. The thing that they said was a bomb was actually just a bottle of alcohol that was wrapped up and covered. <sighs> so, uh, you know, like I said, we're not really sure what the motives are. Some of the passengers said that they heard the hijackers saying that they had escaped from prison and that they're against the government And Captain Abate is quoted as saying that the hijackers wanted to make history. So That's it? Yeah, no clear information on who these people were. So Captain Abate was awarded the Flight Safety Foundation Professionalism in Flight Safety Award. But, you know, the captain considers the first officer to be the real hero of the flight, saying that he fought the hijackers before, you know, coming in to assist in the landing and saying, you know, the first officer was a lifesaver. And both of them continued to fly for Ethiopian Airlines after this incident. Man, and were they injured, like, at all, or so I think they were relatively unhurt. Um, the captain, I believe, went out the front of the airplane, uh, <laughs> you know, when the impact oh. happened. And in watching yeah. interviews with him, he has a, a pretty pronounced scar on his forehead. I don't know, you know if that necessarily came from this accident or not, but I mean, they both continued to fly, so it couldn't have been that they were hurt too terribly. Now that I think about it, in watching that interview with the captain, he says, you know, that he survived the crash and that he was floating in the water. And that he looked around and he saw a passport floating in the water nearby. So he grabbed it and put it in his pocket, thinking, you know, he would give it back to whoever it belonged to. And then he realized it was his own passport. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's how, that's how uh, you know, violent of a crash it was.
1: Of the survivors, were a lot of them injured or was it like if they survived,
0: they made it out OK or like what's that, you know? So of the 50 people who survived, 44 sustained uh, serious injuries, uh, of which six were crew members and uh, two oh. sustained minor injuries. So it seems like people were fairly hurt, but, you know, nothing super critical. I believe one injured patient was transferred to a hospital and later died. So, I mean, it's it, it seems like there were quite a few people who were injured, but, I mean, they were able to survive running out of fuel and crashing into the Indian Ocean.
1: Yeah. I mean, it does seem like percentage wise of a lot of plane crash. I mean, it seems like a lot of plane crashes, there's no survivors or maybe a couple. And it seems like there's relatively more than normal. Right? I
0: think that there would have been even more if people hadn't inflated their life jackets in the plane. Yeah. You know? That would have more than doubled the number of survivors. Yeah. So uh, this hijacking at the time in you know November 96 was the worst hijacking in history up to that point. In terms of what? Uh, uh, fatalities. Okay. So through the investigation, it was found that the flight data acquisition unit in this plane had some issues, and it was difficult to obtain some information from it. It turns out that this unit was actually not the correct one for the plane. The unit that was in this plane was initially designed for 757s, but it also fit into the 767s. Uh, however, the programming in this one didn't recognize the engine identifier codes for the plane. Basically, it was a piece of hardware that was designed for the 757 that they put into the 767, so it didn't quite know how to process the information it was getting. So it didn't Mm. record everything correctly. Despite the fact that this was a hijacking, there were actually some safety recommendations made from the Ethiopian Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, They were that all Ethiopian Boeing 767s should be checked to ensure that they're fitted with the correct data acquisition unit, and Boeing should check all Pratt Whitney-engined Boeing 767s which had been subject to the same modification. So basically, we need to go through all these planes and make sure that they have the right data acquisition units in them. Uh, And this, this next point is actually something you brought up. Both the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder should have a backup system of power supply in the event of loss of the engine's electrical power supply with some criteria on the run uh, of time. So hmm. they realize that, oh, if we need to be better prepared for this in the future. Uh, number three, flight crew and cabin crew members should be properly trained for emergency duties in accordance with the CAA technical directive and list the specific chapters. so basically it's training for emergency duties annually uh training for hijacking situations along with some other unusual situations so just want to make sure that they have better training for these circumstances yeah and then the fourth which is also another very important one which is the fire axe should be stowed in a manner as to make it inaccessible to non-flight crew members hmm. yeah that's that's a good a good point that's a good one right so even though it's a hijacking and you know there's not necessarily stuff they could have done to prevent it at the time uh, they wanted to make sure that they were better prepared in case this did happen again in the future. Yeah. So they were able to take lessons from it and apply it to the future, so that hopefully air travel does you know continue to be safe. And you know, of course, now there's a lot more security at airports as well to try to stop hijacks from even happening in the first place. What can you do if you just have something that you say is a bomb, but no one ever sees it? Yeah. Know? I mean,
1: I, like I, it's not like they could have stopped that insecurity
0: if it wasn't a bomb in the first place. Right. I mean, but I guess now you would think. I think I think the world's different now. I think you would assume that I think passengers wouldn't be as docile on a flight mm-hmm. anymore. I don't think they would just sit down and, and let it happen. And uh, you know, I think it would be probably more difficult to get a bomb through than it was in the past. So, you know, maybe you'd be a little more skeptical about that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. That's definitely true.
0: Yeah, but I mean it it, it could have resulted in a way worse tragedy, but you know, luckily the uh, the captain Maintained his cool, really. Uh, like I said, it, it probably helped that he had been through a couple of hijackings before. And, you know, he kept sight of Africa as long as he could. Then he, tr- he intentionally flew over these Comoros Islands to try to, you know, <laughs> try to find some more land out in the middle of the ocean. And uh, he really did everything he could to try to save people. And, you know, 50 people are alive because of, uh, because of his thinking. And also the first officer coming, to, fighting his way back into the cockpit and coming to his aid as well. Yeah uh i remember this one really well except the the footage is so striking watching that plane come down in the ocean uh you know this was back in 1996 you know there weren't cell phone cameras everywhere it's just pure luck that someone on the beach happened to see the plane coming down and thought to film it if i remember right i believe the woman who filmed the footage said she thought it was part of an air show because the plane was coming in so low uh that's why Uh-oh. she started recording it and then you know it crashed into the water
1: yeah the footage that uh that you sent me it's like it's like a just a dude shirtless hanging out at the beach like having a good time and all of a sudden they're like look over and there's a plane crashing
0: right yeah it's
1: something you don't expect
0: to see when you're having a day at the beach yeah all right uh so that's uh, ethiopian airlines flight 961 uh hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode and i just want to remind you all to follow us on social media on twitter and instagram at black down pod we'll post a link to that video that we're talking about and uh, any other supplemental information we can find and we have an event coming up, RTX at Home. We'll be doing a uh, recording with a live audience of uh, of Black Box down there. And uh, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. Really excited about that. Yeah, uh,
1: we'll post that on the social media as well. But that should be free for everyone to
0: uh, come and watch. So that's coming up on September 24th uh, from 3.30 to 4.30 p.m. Central Time. We have a special uh, incident picked out for that one. So if you want to listen to us as we record an episode live, you're more than welcome to come join us and listen you can find more information at rtxevent.com. yeah it'll be fun and it's free it's free free fun who doesn't like that <laughs> so uh you know share the podcast with a friend tell them to join you and uh, listen to us record an episode live and uh, we'll see you guys again next week share it with someone you went to school with yeah tell them to learn something
1: yeah say hey i'm gonna school you in something yeah plane crashes all right bye